It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, welcome back. It's another edition of American Loser. It's a day late, okay? We like to put these things out on Tuesday, but we had a big guest. and We were able to lock him down here today. He's got a big show coming up at the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey. He's looking over his shoulders because he's a little humble guy. <laughs> he's my friend and returning guest, the one and only Chris Covert, folks. Returning guest. Hell yes. yeah, brother. I love it. Thank you for having me back, guys. I'm excited, man. Dude, we, I, we don't get to work together too, too often. When we do, it's always fun. And you were kind enough to let me uh, do some time on your show this Saturday, brother. You're kind enough to uh, to uh, open up for me. And you are a, a, absolutely a, a headliner. So to get a headliner to feature for me is kind of kind of boss. And you are amazing. You hear that? Comedy Zone Harrisburg headliner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did they not get the memo? We don't give rooms to hosts. That's what they said. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Wow, uh, but this is good because actually we have a you have a hell of a host. You've got dude. This is an interesting show because I I love working with you. It's fun. There's no holds barred for your show. I've been nope. seeing it for years now. It's 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 intense. <laughs> it's game right. on. Yeah. Um, and then you have a certain host. This is so crazy. He's going to host the show, but he's also starring in a major motion picture. I know he's blocks he's <laughs> really bu- busy this month. I'm glad we can knock down a uh, nail down a day. Uh, so we got Brian O'Halloran from Clerks coming out. Dante himself, Dante. folks. Wow. And he is supposed to be there today. Hell yeah. That yes. day. That's that day. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great, too, because the only time I've gotten to work with Brian was one or two other times, uh, both with you. And then, um, didn't you roast the shit out of him? His own roast, he was so drunk at the end of, I don't think he remembers that he was at. Oh, for sure. No, (laughs) but we told him he had a great time. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, everybody says I had a great time last night. (laughs) So now, much like my my old buddy Nate, who we used to do shows at Tierney's in uh, Montclair, New Jersey together, um, the woman who booked that show, my friend Pat Gerland, she would say, uh, Nate went up to her one night and goes, How come I always have to go up first? And she goes, Because you get too drunk if I don't put you up first. (laughs) (laughs) So Halloran is in the safety of going up. Up first, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. He's got the safety net around him. Well, you're also yeah. semi-local too, right, man? You're Red Bank legend, as I far could, as I'm concerned. I could stumble home, That's, so I'm getting. And I don't know if you've seen the theater yet. It is gorgeous. I hear only good things. This is it, the new theater, right? The new theater it is brand new. It's, it's right next door to the Count Basie. Hundred percent. Oh, yes. This one's going to be fun. In the crowd also, by the way, you guys know that voice behind the ones and twos, Big Kahuna in the building. They know yes. that voice? They yes. know that voice. They also, and we know that name. Why? Why do we know that name, Lawrence Patrick Burke? Why do we call him the Big Kahuna? Yeah, right, right from our first episode, uh, Chris gave him uh, the nickname. Yep. This is your sound engineer? Yeah, pretty much. And Kahuna. Like, we worked at Vulgarthon together, and he was like, there can only be one. So he called me Kahuna. <laughs> Side note, Ken Krantz, mutual friend uh, who has a great show called I Love Rock and Roll that'll be around for at least three or four more episodes before he gets tired of it. Um, yeah, who just had uh, uh, Richard, Marks. Richard Marks and Daisy Fuentes on his show. You got little old me, so I think he'll be around for one or two more. Oh, he's got you, yeah, of course. Um, but Ken said one of the funniest things, because I, I, we were promoting the show, and I said, and I'm going to be working with uh, the Chris Covert. And then Covert chimes in, and he goes, there's only one. 
And then uh, underneath that, Krantz goes, isn't your son named Chris Covert Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> There's another Covert in your own Yeah, release too. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I, I want to, um, anything else we need to know for the gig too, because we're going to put the dates are up on my website. Um, the link is there as well. I'm very excited about awesome. this. I can't wait. Um, yeah, it's selling pretty good. I, of course, let's just sell it out. This is going to be a, a once in a lifetime or at least once this month, for sure. <laughs> it's going to be an amazing, amazing show. And I have, uh, I know you haven't seen me in a while, but I have a whole bunch of new stuff that is uh, boy. sure to uh, walk some people. And <laughs> some. I can already see some of the girls dialing 9-1 and waiting for the punchline. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, for sure. It's um, working with, so the best quote I've ever heard about stand-up is uh, it was from Patrice O'Neill, and he was saying it on that uh, green room with Paul Provenza show. Oh, I love that show. And he was saying that uh, killing isn't having a room full of a hundred people and all of them laughing. Killing is being in a room full of a hundred people, having fifty people laughing their asses off, while fifty people look on in horror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think we're going to achieve that on hundred <laughs> percent. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. And I'm I'm super psyched that they're shooting Clerks. You know. Clerks three, uh, not too far away, so you never know who's going to pop by, and it's going to be it's going to be super exciting. That part is uh, it's very cool here, man, and it's also I mean it's such a great time for New Jersey in general, but it's also the Kahuna's behind the ones and twos, but pretty soon I think we're all going to be working for him. <laughs> the trajectory he's on is amusing. Hundred percent. I just hope he doesn't sit in the front because. You know, he's huge. <laughs> he could be right. if you Down called in him. Front. It, yeah. <laughs> like I don't Down need that. In front, move your hair. Can <laughs> yeah. I hear that in the middle of my set? If you told people that he was an offensive lineman for the Jets, people would believe it. Hundred percent. Right. And then you're like, no, he's actually my sound engineer and he works with puppets. And they're like, right, <laughs> which one of these is ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. He can use any of us as a puppet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's the fisting part that really hurts. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Dirtiest joke by my father. Right? So this one, you guys can already tell this is an offbeat episode here because we're having fun, man. It's hanging out with your friends. That's what the whole podcasting thing's supposed to be. We are still going to wind up getting into a loser topic. Don't you worry. But you know, it's a, it's not off. We get to promote a gig that we're both going to be on together. And Kahuna knows everybody here. Saturday, baby. This Saturday at the Vogel, Count Basie, Red Bank, New Jersey. All right. Well, maybe we'll stop in. Maybe we'll find. There's got to be a place to eat after that. Oh, it's, it's Red Bank. Red Bank. Yep. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the after party. Now we're talking, buddy. Yeah. I think we're just going to maybe bar hop. I don't know what's going to happen. I took off on Sunday, so it's going to get real. And I'm no longer employed, so I am all yours. Baby. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that is the that is the part of the show we don't want to miss. That's everyone's <laughs> everyone's invited to that. There you go. Well, says as we're about to dive into the topic here, uh, Chris Covert, like all great guests, Dad, what did he bring with him? Wow, look at this. Yes, Notes. I'm impressed. He's got, uh, he's done his homework. Wow. Notes, motherfuckers. Notes. Yes. Yep. This is actually just my Wikipedia page that I printed out. <laughs> remind me how important right. I am. <laughs> just so you can promote that for Saturday. That is my favorite thing when you find a, uh, uh, there's some comics that you and I know that mm. have definitely curated their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you'll sit there and be like, oh, and Chad's mother says he's doing really well lately. <laughs> But. You gotta in this business. You gotta use whatever you can. Like it's the truth. I was doing um, 
Oh, what's that one up on? I, the one by the uh, Chelsea Hotel there. Gotham. I was downstairs at the Gotham, ready to go on. Did I tell you this story? No. And uh, the promoter taps me on the shoulder and said, uh, Gaffigan just popped in. He's just going to do a couple minutes before mm -hmm. you go on. I was like ready to go on. So he goes on, does fucking hour. <laughs> and then it's my turn. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, you guys clearly have no laughs left. But now I just say that Gaffigan opened up for me. That's <laughs> so the move. It's all That's about it. angles. That right. is the move. Perception. Perception. It, it's um, it's crazy too. Just with that, because the the one time I was at Gotham, I was uh, featuring there. I was scared shitless, and they just walk in and they so calmly tell you. So it's going to be uh, Angelo, then it's going to be Jim, then uh, you, KP. And I'm like, cool, who's Jim? And then you just see Mr. Hot Pockets himself walking. You're like, <laughs> huh, just going to bury the new guy. Yep. Make sure it's a. Uh, we really love it, Jim. It's so much fun. <laughs> Such an honor to work with. <laughs> I'll say this one. There's going to be a little bit of an age difference uh, from in this particular uh, topic for the episode because we're going to say who the loser is. And Kahuna is going to have a visceral reaction to it at first because he's going to think it's somebody that occurs in the current zeitgeist. Right. Okay. <laughs> now, my father grew up. I mean, this was like a name I'd get called around the house as a kid, I think, that, uh, you know, whenever I'd play – uh, at my grandmother's house in Dumont, I'd play with like his old toys from like the Western stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, be running around with a you know a, maybe a, a Tommy gun or something like that, and uh, the joke would be to call me Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Now Kahuna knows him for his music career. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't don't put slander out like that. Okay, <laughs> that's not fair. All right, he's all right. Well, a rapper uh, by the name of Machine Gun Kelly, real name Colson Baker, kid from Cleveland, Ohio. He has taken on today's loser's name as his rap moniker, I guess, or his, his hype name. But there's a real guy behind the story. So it's kind of cool. We're going to tell the real story of the original Machine Gun Kelly, not the fake made up one. Or maybe this guy's also a little fake and made up when you read about him. <laughs> yeah. so, did you know anything about him coming in ahead of this covert? Um, just the name. It's a it's a good name. Let's so, be honest. Yeah. So Machine Gun Kelly, the current is Machine Gun Kelly the second, and Machine Gun Kelly the first also just carried the moniker, even despite it not really being his name. I'll tell you what. Oh, it was you, slightly altered. Slightly altered. Yeah, you can decide at the end of this episode which of the two is more fraudulent. Okay. Okay. I think that's a fair thing here. So I'm excited about this one. You guys know the gimmick, by the way. We cover the b weird topics from American history. This guy fits the bill as a loser for sure. Um, it's. It's kind of like uh, growing up in Jersey, we had a lot of fake tough guys. Yes. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that they can't wait that their best friend is the bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> because the bouncer goes, oh, yeah, if that bouncer wasn't here, you would have seen what would have happened. Machine Gun Kelly's got a little bit of that going to him. Yeah. And he's also got a, a ride or die of a wife that maybe also <laughs> right. was starting the fights that he wasn't finishing. <laughs> she was She was a good hype man. Good, Very good much. PR, yeah. Good PR yeah. coming from her. LP, now, how did you first stumble upon this guy's story here? Because obviously, last name like Kelly, first name like Machine. Oh, hey, Irish pride. They're going, you know, <laughs> orange, white, and green. Uh, no, I've knew, known of a Machine Gun Kelly, but when I first started doing the research, I kept on coming up with this rap guy. I said, who is this guy? I never heard <laughs> I'm of I'm not even kidding. I just <laughs> typed it up in Google to try and, like, at least get a picture, and the first thing that popped up was new Machine Gun Kelly. MGK. Yeah. Yeah. Modern day. Um but yeah, I started doing some research. And like, there's a lot of names from that time period that you might have heard of, like John Dillinger or uh, Babyface Nelson, Machine Gun Kelly, Al Getting Capone. Into public enemy. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, absolutely the public enemy. And again, lose reception. We had that crossover from J. Edgar Hoover, the guy who really started or the image of uh, the government, the government agent. So yeah, it was it was all from that 
you know, what, what uh, year were you born, by the way? 51. 1951. Yeah, so, the, folks, this the is the last my, century, 19. This is my father. 1951 is when he was born. So he's allowed to say this because this is what they called it back then, okay? Please say what they called the show, The Untouchables. Oh, back in, in, in my day. house growing up? Indeed. Yeah, well, The Untouchables with Robert Stack, uh, or starring Robert Stack, was a very popular show at the time. But in my household, uh, one of my uncles nicknamed that, oh, yeah, that's uh, Cops and Wops, or. <laughs> Or Guinea Gunsmoke. <laughs> it wasn't the Untouchables. So I apologize, Dad. You will not be continuing on this season. I, I was now. asked. And I lost. <laughs> That's right. Your audition process has come to We're a done. Home. He's We're taking done. a leave of absence to <laughs> work Italian. with himself and his family. The Italian Defamation League has shut us down. That's a <laughs> it's, a, it's a good name, though, man, this Machine Gun Kelly thing. It stands out in, like you said, in an era of Babyface Nelsons and Pretty Boy Floyds and a guy like Machine Gun Kelly. So you can see why you'd want that. That kind of a nickname, a little, uh, little mystery behind your game here, man. A little mystery, and it could be a little intimidating if you're right. It gives you an attitude. You owe somebody money, or right, yeah, yeah. That's Machine Gun Kelly over there. You know, that's old Pistol Covert over there, man. Right. You know, <laughs> that's uh, he will be born though, uh, George Kelly Barnes. He's born July eighteenth, eighteen ninety five, in Memphis, Tennessee. Shout out Andy High Roller. Um, <laughs> he's living down there in the uh, in, in Bedlam and Squalor, I believe, is what he described it as. <laughs> but uh, now uh, our boy Machine Gun Kelly, who will eventually will become known as, he's going to die. This is a how about how about this for a birthday present? Yeah, he dies on his 59th birthday. Of course, happy birthday to. Uh, check out, uh, check out. What are the odds of that? About uh, one in 365. That's, <laughs> that's the truth, man. <laughs> He winds up dying in 1954. During his stay on this planet, he will become a bootlegger, a gangster, a kidnapper, and more. He'll become known as Machine Gun Kelly and develop a reputation as a brutal, tough gangster not to be messed with. The nickname Machine Gun being applied due to his apparent penchant for committing crimes with his trademark Thompson machine gun. There's that great uh, Mulaney bit where they're talking about how crime in the 1920s, it was you didn't have CSI back then because they could just show up and be like, who do you think did this? And then written in bullets on the side of the wall, Dirty Mike and the boys. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, you know, there's some flair to these old school gangsters. Man. Oh, yeah. There's, there's got to be something cool. Like in your mind, did you ever grow up watching The Untouchables? No. No? no. It was because I even saw that a couple of times just growing up as a kid. But the, the gangster uh, motif kind of carries on from the Western thing where it's like the outlaw bank robbers. There, there's something kind of cool about them. There's like a oh, style yeah. to them. Yeah, there was a, even with Bonnie and Clyde, which is again from the same era, there was a, a Robin Hood-esque kind of a legend built around them that, yeah, there's, there's Robin Banks, but they do give money to the to the little guy, you know, buy off their mortgage or they'll burn the mortgage papers in the bank that they're robbing. So the bank's got no, uh, nothing to go against uh, why the, they don't owe the bank and the farm is now yours because, uh, you know, John Dillinger or whoever, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, they, they took care of the little guy. Yeah. And this was also during the time of a Great Depression, so everybody's, you know, struggling. Well, in the 30s, they're struggling more than the Roaring Twenties, but our boy Machine Gun here um, goes through both eras. So he had the good times and the bad times. But. Bad times. There wasn't a lot of—I didn't have a lot of gangsters on what I was watching. Ah. Or even bad people. I watched a lot of sitcoms. So, you know. Maybe that's there, what we need is a sitcom about the gangsters to humanize them a little bit. Like, uh, yeah. Now the world <laughs> <laughs> There was a pedophile on Different Strokes. So, I that's mean, true. that's a bad guy. But I wouldn't that's think a gangster. But he did own a bike shop, I remember. 
<laughs> Am I going off topic? Not yet. Not yet, technically. Because <laughs> how wild can you get? All right, because this is a crazy thing. You're, you meet a guy whose name is Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. Right? And then you start asking him about his life, where you find out more stuff about him. Like a big, you know, an intimidating looking guy with a nickname of Machine Gun. And then uh, they say, well, when did it all start for you? And he goes, well, I went to uh, Mississippi State University to study agriculture. <laughs> and it's all been downhill ever since. Yeah. Well, he wasn't a, he wasn't a good student. No, no. His, his highest grade was for hygiene. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's I right. think that drew That's that, right. I'm not that lying. I pulled a C. I pulled a C. Yeah. And that was his highest grade. Now, if they would have given grades for hygiene in high school, I mean, I probably, I'd probably be a doctor. <laughs> Hey, you know that who doesn't really stink like helped. shit? <laughs> <laughs> really could have. I sucked at math, but man, yeah, can, yeah. can he shave? <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, man. So he gets a C on his personal hygiene. So that's, again, that's average, by the way, folks. Average. That's, um, well, there were stinkier people than him that, uh, you know. He took a well, you're working in agriculture, so it's got to be some guy that's covered in horse shit that just forgot to, oh, you're right. You guys caught me in a bad day. I'm real sorry about this. <laughs> what are you carrying into class? It's fertilizer. But how, the question is this. How do you start off, and this is a crazy story. I don't know if we could write this movie if we had to. How do you start off as a Mississippi State University student studying agriculture and then wind up in Alcatraz? You know, I like to – I think – the bootlegging, the money, don't forget what era we're in. They needed money. Truth. And um, oh, there was a lot of bootleggers. It's kind of like, you know, and then they, you know, now alcohol is legal. A lot of people went to jail for selling weed. Now weed is legal. A lot of people, you know, I can just keep going on. No, the, the parallels are there. Yeah. We're going to talk in a minute because I, I got old handsome we're over talk here. right now. <laughs> We're going to talk to this whole thing. Right now, damn it. <laughs> it's time. Here, uh, Bill Maher here for normal. Um, but that is a big j jump off. You go into college and then totally. you're in Alcatraz. You wind up in Alcatraz. Uh, by the way, if you guys want to go into uh, – uh, there's plenty of loser receptions on this one for loser devotees. You guys know that. Um, I will say this, though. Lawrence Patrick, this bootlegging business is going to take off over here. And this bootlegging thing is a very, very profitable – Highly unregulated market right. for uh, the sale of alcohol in defiance of prohibition. In a nutshell, Dad, what's <laughs> prohibition and why did it work so well? Well, prohibition was really started by the 18th Amendment that it was a, a movement of uh, no booze. The anti-saloon league, all these type of people have been working up to this. They finally get it to pass uh, and actually uh, it really had a forerunner to that. Um, back during the First World War where, again, these uh, anti-drinking folks convinced uh, Woodrow Wilson that we're going to ban uh, alcohol for the duration of the war because all the yeast and bread and stuff that could be formed into bread to feed the troops. So anyhow, the long and the short of it is uh, these guys come back uh, from the war and now we're post-World War One and the 18th Amendment, um, which bans the manufacture transportation and sale of intoxicating liquors is passed. Now, well, consumption was never really outlawed, uh -huh. but the manufacture, the transportation, and the sale of intoxicating liquors was. Uh, uh, didn't really have any uh, teeth to that 
uh, 18th Amendment until they passed something called the Holst- uh, the uh, Volstead Act. Which uh, that- our good friend John Ross Cocosa is going to come on to go nuts about because he's still screaming about it here <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right, <laughs> about 100 years later yeah. in our state of New Jersey. Um, and uh, as I said, prohibition had been tried before during the war, but it was more of a, uh, a war effort kind of a thing. And it didn't really outlaw it. It just moved some of the necessary um, pieces of manufacturing uh, intoxicating beverages uh, to a different venue for the duration of the war. But um, now the 18th Amendment is passed. The Volstead Act is passed, which gives teeth behind the behind the law that people can now be arrested for the illegal uh, manufacture, transportation, or sale of intoxicating liquors. Um, it wasn't real. Some people were diehards that there's not going to be any alcohol. You know, uh, lips that have touched liquor shall never touch mine was one of the catchphrases. Um, uh, that was Katy Perry, I think. <laughs> that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, oh, but uh, Cosby. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> uh, the whole... Good Lord. <laughs> the whole temperance movement. Is really it's got a, a stronghold with uh, women, especially because they're also looking for the right to vote, and they kind of all latched into this whole thing. Which they get in the Nineteenth Amendment, actually. Uh, yeah, and then, then the uh, finally it comes around to the Twenty-First Amendment when it's legal again. But it was a, for a long period of time. I think it was almost seventeen years that uh, you know to cons- to uh, transport liquor was illegal. Um, but this is where, again, in the same time frame, we got the Roaring Twenties, and then by uh, 29, I believe, there was the Great Depression with the cra- crash of Wall Street. So you got a lot of people looking for, for booze <laughs> before they jump out the window because the stock market crashed. Yeah. And then, uh, um, you know, how are you going to satisfy the great amounts of people that are still looking to have a, a snort or two. So that's when that whole terminology of bathtub gin and bootleg <laughs> bootleg whiskey, uh, bootleg booze uh, uh, really comes in. People were making alcohol at home. The rise of moonshine. And the moonshiners and everything else. And that's where all of that came in. All those terminologies were really put forth. And actually, I found it interesting, too, that a lot of these people are making uh, – homemade rot gut liquor that tasted terrible. So now they're trying to figure out, well, how can we make the alcohol more palatable? Because you're not going, you're not going for the 19-year-old scotch or anything. You just say, if it's alcohol, I'm in. Uh, and that's where whole mixed drinks started coming in. Yeah. That uh, let's put some Coke into it or let's put uh, something to take away the nastiness of the alcohol, but I'm still going to cop the buzz that I'm looking for. Uh, A cool thing I heard one time was that a bartender who was working in one of these like uh, a modern speakeasy type place where they're trying to get back to that. Mm -hmm. He said the real difference he had to learn as a bartender there as opposed to a bartender at like a college bar on a Saturday is that um, back in the day they wanted to make the liquor taste better and now they don't want to taste the liquor at all. So that's the advent of your vodka and your moonshine and all that other crazy stuff. Also pretty wild that – you want to talk about uh, immigration and the benefits that come with it. It's usually in the food court. You see that mostly. That's where like sure. the great, the best argument for immigration. Like, oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, we can get falafel now. This is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's pretty nuts because then you have um, the guys who are making moonshine. They're kind of down south, more rural areas, a little bit more separate from everybody else, right? Uh, they're not getting like the influx of all the uh, immigrants coming over. Now, the immigrants are coming over and they're making, again, you have your bathtub gin. You have... Uh, so for my mother on the Armenian side, they're making adak, which is like an ouzo type thing. But 
They made Adak that was so strong one time that my cousin brought back from Armenia that we put it in solo cups outside at a party, forgot about it for a couple minutes, came back in, and it had melted through the solo oh cup. Oh, my God. <laughs> we were just, yeah. yeah. We we're like, all right, so we can you can either drink this or use it to take varnish off something. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> either way. Yeah, and actually, that, that's a good point, Kev, because the, the – the, uh, Alcohol for like a paint thinner or something like that. They had to. Uh, they were forced to go to what it's called denatured alcohol. That you know, it's the alcohol. If you drink that shit, it's going to kill you or make you go blind or all kinds of adverse effects just to suppress. You know, people putting drinking alcohol from any source they could possibly get, whether it's methyl or denatured or whatever. They, hey, it's alcohol. Let's try it out. Let's see if we get the buzz. And your term, you just said like speakeasy. That was secret private clubs that if you knew the password, you could get in and uh, liquor would be served, uh, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff. And again, it had a whole divisive thing to the whole nation because there are those that are absolutely against alcohol because of uh, the ill effects that it would wreck on uh, families and that type of stuff. Right. And then there's the Irish. And then there's the Irish, where <laughs> that's part of our culture. You're trying to squash my culture. And you said the, with the Irish, but also the Germans, because the vast majority of beers made in America were of a German style or German descent. Uh, um, Paps, um, what else? Miller. Well, Budweiser. Budweiser. I mean, they all have and cool, German, no, they, German origins. Remember, yeah. we went to the, the Budweiser, uh, the, we went to one of the factories together. And uh, the way that Budweiser or Anheuser-Busch, I should say, stayed in business during Prohibition was like, well, if we just don't make the beer, we have all the ingredients for bread. So we'll just make bread. And then maybe sometimes we'll accidentally leave a barrel of beer around. And yeah. so they got so away they with made it. bread. Yes. <laughs> I've never bought bread in a bottle. That's a, <laughs> so that must have been interesting. They'll try Guinness. There's a loaf in every bottle. That's so I hear. <laughs> but it's true. A lot of people were dying. And that yeah. only uh, made uh, the Sisters of Sobriety go nuts with their little campaign. So that's a nightmare. Fun. Here's a little fun fact. The Long Island iced tea was invented in Tennessee. No shit. Google it. That one's interesting. There you go. I like to throw one your way every now There you there. go. Dude, that one, I'm actually excited about this one now. <laughs> the Long Island iced tea from Tennessee. You know what? And there's a lot of good bourbon down in Tennessee, isn't there, Dad? I've heard uh, some yeah, rumors. And it's actually still still to this day dry counties within um, Tennessee that uh, don't don't allow alcohol. 100%. No. I'm a bourbon guy. Actually, uh, respect. Jack Daniels is in one of those counties. And uh, our very own Mike Zapsick is one of, uh, I believe he's a bourbon expert or something like that. It's not hanging on the wall here. It's at the other place over in Eatontown that we'll never go back to. Under lock and key. <laughs> Indeed. Wait, are you a bourbon guy? Uh, I've enjoyed it on occasion. It's, uh, you know, my problem is I, I like. On too I, many occasions? Yes. Uh, correct. 100% correct. My problem was always this. Whenever it came down to, and I think this is why the temperance movement actually picked up so much, was because it would be super common back in the days like the American Revolution to walk into a tavern at night and just dip your you know mug into a giant barrel of cider. And you would just be sitting there drinking cider and beer all day. Yeah. And you keep it at a low ABV, low alcohol, and it's not a problem. But again, America is essentially all a nation of immigrants, that the, the castaways from every other country, all showing up being the definition of functioning alcoholics. But now with the advent of the harder liquors, you're seeing those guys who are used to drinking a cider pace – all of a sudden, they're drinking some bourbon, something like that, uh, you know, whiskey, rums coming through, all these. And these guys are being absolutely shit-faced. And it, it's an ugly thing, and I don't want to glance over it, too. The women probably were so fed up with it because, guess what? It's pretty common 
when there's domestic violence that maybe the guys had a few too many. Yeah. We've all seen something like that, unfortunately, where uh, it, it's a it's a cliche and it's a trope and it's an ugly one, too. But if the women are sitting there and they're saying, hey, this guy's usually a pretty nice guy until he gets. I'm not drunk. <laughs> I'm not drunk. You're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's completely easy to see why the country was like, all right, we got to do something about this. But what does the government do? They overcorrect like they always tend to do. That's yeah. the problem. They say, oh, well, now there's no, you can't get anything anymore. All right. So what are we going to do? Boom. Canada's all of a sudden in business. If you're making moonshine in the backwoods, all of a sudden you're in business. This little island called Cuba that we've had our eye on since Jefferson. Yeah. All of a sudden, they make some good rum. That's some, yeah, they're really smooth too. It goes yeah, nice with right. a coconut drink. Cuba Libra. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have uh, boats like, um, what was it? I can't, not, not, wasn't the Morro Castle, right? Mm-hmm. You can have booze cruises where if as long as you're out in international waters, you can just start drinking like crazy. Yeah. And then as soon as you pull back into U.S. territory waters, you're like, oh, put it all away, guys. It's all over now, right? So, Actually, at the time, there was a, a drink, a, a prohibition drink that was called the Three Mile. And then that was followed by the Twelve Mile. And it was different cocktails. You know, the name of different <laughs> cocktails but, that they were putting out. You go up and order up a Three Mile. That Well, that was the um, limitation of how far out you'd go before it's international waters and not U.S. waters. So, you you know, the liquor the liquor flows free. And they just kind of adapted over to a, the name of a cocktail. And then later on, when they expanded the uh, um, international uh, coastlines, um, it was the 12-miler. So, yeah, that's cool. cool. I did not know that. Yeah, Eminem came out with the eight mile. That's <laughs> what we're trying to say, folks, is that prohibition worked. It clearly worked. Everything's good. No one in America is drinking anymore because the government came in and said that it was bad. It didn't Always cause an worked. excessive amount of violence. Or no, anything. Americans and love when the government tells us what exactly. <laughs> love it. Well, after several run-ins with the Memphis police due to some things he's getting involved with, and uh, again, Memphis is a good drinking town. I've heard nothing but good stories about that place. Uh, our boy, uh, who's yet not known to be Machine Gun Kelly, Mr. Uh, Barnes here at the time, he decides it's time to move on. All right, time to get out of Memphis over here with his uh, beautiful wife, Geneva. She's He's got two women in his life. This one's she seems like they were pretty fast in love, right? Uh, the next one is the one who is the, the, the diehard, the ride or die, to a degree. We'll kind of get into that in a second. Yeah. But this first woman, Geneva here. Yeah, uh, that's his first wife. Indeed. Uh, Geneva and he are going to head west and continue to work as bootleggers. So Geneva's like, you know, well, we don't have to quit what we do. We just have to quit what we do in front of where people know what we're doing. So, <laughs> Makes sense. How about a new scenery, right? Yeah, well, Gen he met Geneva while he was still a student at uh, Mississippi A&M. Go Bulldogs. That's um, <laughs> we, there's nothing written about her hygiene, though, right? No, no. I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of marks she got on hygiene. But. <laughs> <laughs> you'd hope. You'd hope. And uh, uh, by the way, he never seems to be without a woman in his life, too. That's the other interesting thing about this guy. Um, Luck's never really on Kelly's side. Uh, they do head west. They continue to work as bootleggers. But he's going to soon be arrested for attempting to smuggle liquor. Get this, Chris Covert. Onto an Indian reservation. No. I don't know about you guys. I've heard a rumor or two about alcohol in the reservation life not being really all that it's supposed to be. All right? <laughs> you're taking depressed people with a, a very low quality of life and you're introducing them to a substance that's going to alter them, potentially uh, with long-term ramifications. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Shitty enough, they'll put feathers in their hair and all kinds of goofy shit. <laughs> it is bad, man. It's a, it's a rough place to be. And by the way... Um, I mean, that, that, that's a whole – that's an ugly stereotype of the, the whole thing with the Native Americans. But 
it also was uh, kind of an early way of saying like the drug trade because now anytime there's always a if you're in a poor rural town or something, that's where your opioids are always going crazy like that. So it's whoever can sell you some form of escapism. That's yeah. where all the stuff always winds up coming back into. Uh, now, I will say this. This particular Indian reservation was out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, our good old boy, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, he gets himself a nice three-year stint behind bars in the infamous Leavenworth Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. And uh, Leavenworth sounds familiar to some listeners because it is uh, the place that housed Loserceptions – Bugs Moran, the only guy that was uh, feuding with Al Capone for control of uh, Chicago. Also, Carl Panzram, who um, <laughs> one, he's really one of America's first serial killers. But he, the fact that he wrote about all of his experiences, uh, it just kind of makes him funny for some reason. <laughs> like we're just far away enough. <laughs> it's so weird to hear him be like – because he had like his one friend was a prison guard who took down his notes and everything like that. And he was just telling me, he goes, he goes, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you can take down my life story. You can sell. You're a really good guy. Don't get too close to me, though, because I might fuck you to death. Like, it's, oh, my God. Well, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are exact Carl Panzram quotes. Also, by the way, this is a weird one, too. Guess who else did time at Leavenworth? I did not know this. Ken Krantz. <laughs> Going out even worse. Even worse. Uh, Chip Chantry? Uh <laughs> He's, he's a, another Philly icon, actually. <laughs> another Philly icon. Michael Vick did time over at Leavenworth for the really? dog thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, oh, even... I was going to say Daryl Hall for the witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> that works, too. Oh, God damn. But I'll tell you what. During his three-year stint over at Leavenworth, uh, our boy, uh, mean old machine gun Kelly here, you know, he's not quite yet known by that name, but he's a big, tough gangster dude. What do you do when you're a big, tough gangster dude in prison? You go and you punch the biggest guy in there mm-hmm. in the throat. <laughs> Or you're just a model s- prisoner, citizen, yeah, upright, you, you standing can, guy. You can go that way. Yeah, if you're not yeah. Really get, maybe you get out early for good behavior because you're a badass. <laughs> That's what happens, man. Uh, apparently, this is enough to break up him in Geneva for good, though. So because uh, he was a model, because uh, he was a model uh, citizen inside. I, I guess just him being right. away for He's a couple of years. He's changed. Yeah, okay. I, I don't think she did any jail time. I think it was one of those things back in the day where. We How long was it. he in for? He did three years in total. She couldn't wait three years. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know if he was getting out. Yeah, I think he got out early because he was a good prisoner. Right. So she okay. could be sitting there. It's one of those things where it's like, and unfortunately, you see this sometimes, or it would be like a soldier would go off to war and he'd be missing an action and the girl would move on with her life kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and then you get all those weird like Casablanca type movies where it's you know, like, we'll always have this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, I, in his defense, when he was first married to Geneva, he was kind of trying to lead the straight and narrow. But again, with... Um, the depression going on and everything else. He bounced around with a couple of different jobs, but nothing was really sticking. And, and she came from money. Her old man was pretty well-to-do and was in charge of uh, one of the largest uh, levy uh, um, builders, if you will. So there was uh, there was money to be made there, but he wasn't having it. For whatever reason, uh, the father-in-law didn't really uh, take to him, I yeah. guess. Your hierarchy of needs is always depend. So if you're like, well, I don't want to, it's almost like Breaking Bad, where it's like, well, listen, I'm dying of cancer. I have to get this stuff together for my family. And then all of a sudden he's not dying of cancer. And he's like, I just really like it. It's very <laughs> <Right>. fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, trying to, he was a used car salesman, all kinds of crazy things. But uh, bootlegging was uh, easy money. Wouldn't you love those commercials, though, if it was Route 46 Nissan, tell a machine gun Kelly sent you. <laughs> <laughs> We're slashing the prices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, Geneva and him do wind up splitting, and they're no longer an item here. And uh, our boy's going to catch the eye of one Catherine Tharn. 
Catherine's thorn without the Irish on it, but uh, Darn. yeah, she's fascinating. Oh, eggs. <laughs> Are they all O'Halloran's mother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a criminal in her own right, by the way. So he's coming from a nice girl in Geneva, who's you know father killed yeah, someone, up, upstanding and, and rather well-to-do uh, family. Now he's potentially he's coming out of prison, so he's got a bad boy image per se. Maybe it's not real. Right. I'm not saying he was a, a, a pushover, right. but he's not exactly this big badass guy that we're going to come to know him as. <laughs> and he winds up meeting his wife, who's actually more badass than he is. Yeah. She's a legit criminal. Hartman's <laughs> criminal, too, man. It's uh, she's intense. It's always the crazy <laughs> chicks that are the hottest. Yeah. She was a good looking uh, female for sure. Credit to her uh, to her gender, as they would say. But um she was batshit crazy too. Um, and by her way, whole family, I just was, pull up a picture. She's cute, even like by modern state. Like, like that's her dressed as respect. That's her on. Uh, this is like, I don't want to say it again, but it's court, court. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this is a court photo of her, um, and she looks pretty good as she's being sentenced. Okay, and uh, standing next to her, that is by the way, Machine Gun Kelly. That's standing next to her. So right. that's her okay. Her <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you'd think when you're seeing a couple standing shoulder to shoulder in a, a room with a big audience in the background, you're thinking wedding bells, wedding reception. No, this is an arraignment. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't it be both? <laughs> Maybe the judge can marry us. But uh, no, in uh, Catherine Thorne, she is, uh, I think she's on her second or third or second marriage where uh, Mr. Thorne, her husband, uh, commits suicide and... It was some suspicion because she was always complaining about what a badass uh, he was, a, a poor husband. Well, thankfully, Mr. Thorne had uh, hand hadn't typed out his suicide note, <laughs> left it unsigned uh, near the suicide location, if you will. And so the authorities found the suicide, neatly typed. But what was a little bit strange that the judge overlooked so was— uh, Mr. Thorne was illiterate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. no how does an illiter illiterate man make this perfectly typed, you know, proper English uh, sentence structure, everything else, type this thing I'm out? Getting Adam Catherine, family, take five. this down. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> my darling wife. My yeah. darling wife. I wish I could have heard more of your stories. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, from her uh, – from her – inheritance if you will after he commits suicide she comes into money and uh is always very well dressed and she's a hottie and a well-dressed hottie and she's been known to be running in uh the circles of the underground and uh she meets she up like with bad boys she yeah she meets up with uh, old kelly boy old powder Georgie. puff kelly as we call him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, he gets um, – because of his wife now, she's going to create this image for him too because, again, she's a badass chick. She needs uh, – you know, I'm not sure what the exact timeline is, but I'm sure that there's uh, there's always been in literature and in um, the newspaper reporting uh, a desire for the, uh, the, the, um, the, the black widow type madams. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Uh, Gun-toting malls as they will soon yeah. be called uh, thanks to our, our good friends Bonnie and Clyde. So she's definitely picking up – there's some attention being paid to her, especially in the underworld area. So she's now going to – against his will, she winds up getting with um, Machine Gun Kelly. Or they're, they're, they seem to have an amicable relationship. But against his will, um, she's going to start saying like, hey, you got to practice with this machine gun. I got this Thompson machine gun here. You're going to start practicing with it. Once you get really good with it, you're going to bring it on all the robberies we're going to go on together. 
And slowly she's building up a thing. She goes, yeah, my husband, old Machine Gun Kelly over here. Yeah. She starts creating the mythos herself of her own man. So behind every good you know, man is a, a woman behind him explaining how to use a Thompson machine gun. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole uh, – it was uh, folklore that uh, Machine Gun Kelly signed his name on a bank wall using his machine gun mm-hmm. to sign the name. And that was all um, instigated by uh, – uh, a lovely wife. Because he was also illiterate. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it was full Machine Gun Kelly or was it just MGK? (laughs) Yeah, maybe it was just Braille. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Hashtag MGK. (laughs) Yeah, but anyhow, she's given him this whole image of being the machine gun toting. Because up until this time, he's really small time. I mean, if you're selling uh, bootleg liquor on an Indian reservation, I think there's places that might be able to pay a little bit more than some poor destitute Indian on the on mm-hmm. the reservation. Yeah, and he was just multi-time bootlegging and that kind of stuff. And he he developed into bank robbery, but uh, you know the missus wanted him to uh, up up go upscale a little bit, go uptown a little bit, and that's uh, where she started to develop this whole uh, image of the machine gun toting uh, mobster, mm-hmm. and she would go to the various uh, underworld meeting places, if you will, speakeasy or whatever. And she would actually uh, give people souvenirs of empty uh, machine gun cartridges. Like, here's a souvenir from my husband. Now, so he's, she's really developing up this whole yeah, image. Yeah, merch. <laughs> merch. Oh, good exactly. point. That's a good, good manager. <laughs> Absolutely. Selling merch. Because that's a good way to make sure that uh, no one double crosses you. If you're like, oh, that's um, she's a tough chick in her own right, but that's also the, the wife of Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. Is she signing clients still? That's a <laughs> she take puppeteers. <laughs> there is something funny about that whole murder ink, public enemy, all those names from this era coming in because the hip hop community definitely took that and ran with it too, man. Oh, yeah. Which again, substance for the fact that there's a rapper out there named Machine Gun Kelly. Um, Isn't there? This, it's the whole childish Gambino too. Ooh, true. Also <laughs> on that one. It's the whole. It's the gangster aesthetic. It's just because. It's those movies you would grow up with. I remember my dad would, would tell me about like watching all these fucking movies yeah. as a kid. At an age, he probably should not have fucking watched it. But, of course, he chose an, another name that wasn't quite gangster-esque. But, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're going to get into um, – because later on, there's actually an a urban legend about uh, Machine Gun Kelly that's pretty fascinating that, that kind of is still in the modern parlance. I'm going to burn that chair in front of everybody. I will Please machine do. gun Kelly that chair. I fucking hate it. I'm literally, I'm going to stand for I the hope rest the list. No, you don't have to do that, I'm going to stand buddy. for the rest of the fucking episode. Get out of here. You don't have to do that, man. Hey, man, it's exercise. <laughs> Ming, it's just the squeakiest chair we've ever heard. Okay. I hope the listeners aren't hearing that one. We, we're just dealing with it here in the studio. And Kona, you don't have to stand the whole time. Jesus Christ. No, it's, 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 it's pissing me off. So I'm like, I'm just, No. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Catherine is serving as a bit of a hype woman for her husband's new nickname, and they're pulling together these little uh, bootlegging operations and robberies. They're having a, a nice little, I mean, not not big, big career in terms of like comparisons to, say, the uh, the Ma Barkers of the world and the Dillingers and the Pretty Boy Floyds and all them. They're not quite on that level here, but they're adjacent. And this power couple is now operating out of the Fort Worth area. They're continuing to make a name for themselves in the underground world of bootlegging and robberies. And uh, they're going to go to great lengths to make sure this reputation uh, as an infamous tough guy for Machine Gun Kelly, as he's now being called. I thought uh, it was Kalo. That's a <laughs> <laughs> Machine Gun Kale. <laughs> yeah, he's got a machine gun and he's full of vitamin K. <laughs> but uh, this leads us to July 1933. 
the uh, couple will kidnap an oil tycoon from Oklahoma by the name of Charles Urschel. Okay. Uh, the kidnapping, which, by the way, would be the first case. This is my favorite part. This is why I love doing this show. We're coming up on three years here. We got a lot of new listeners. We got a lot of listeners who have been with us since the beginning. We have some listeners who bailed for some reason. And please come back. I'm adopted. I have issues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kev. <laughs> Your mother and I did the best we could. <laughs> Times were tough. <laughs> I hear you. Dads are like boomerangs. That's right. I hope. <laughs> Sins of the father. Uh, dads are like boomerangs. They're in Australia and they're not coming back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. This one's my favorite. So one of our very first episodes of this show that we did was about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Yes. Okay. And the, the big thing that changed with that whole case is that the guy – once that case went down, they actually made kidnapping a federal crime. Right. Prior to that, Chris Covert and I could kidnap somebody in Jersey – Bring them to New York and yep. then just get away with it. No problem. Yep. yep. Easy day, right? We just live here now. Shit. Yeah. We go out to the Poconos or something. We're yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We, we live in the Poconos now. We committed that kidnapping and the guy from – we kidnapped Ming Chen, took him for all of his money, right? We, we told his, <laughs> his family like, hey, you guys better pay up here. And his family goes – Yeah. <laughs> his family goes, uh, just – We will set this Ford Focus on fire. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, license oh. plate KFBR 392. KFBR 392. Oh, yeah. So now because of this Lindbergh case, lose reception of that, uh, kidnapping is now a federal crime. And now you got these guys from this Bureau of Investigation that are starting to get involved in this. So that's your precursor or the original name of what we're going to call the FBI. So that brings in two of our biggest topics ever. Number one, the guy I think is probably the most impactful human being short of Teddy Roosevelt in American history is J. Edgar Hoover. You want to talk about the idea of a deep state and conspiracy and so yeah. J. Edgar Hoover was never elected by the public, but he always had absolute power to dictate Over the outcome. <laughs> and any, he had dirt on everybody. He had a sex tape of JFK that he sat on for years, by the way. Not like that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he kept hidden because originally the chick that they were investigating was uh, a, a thought to be a Nazi sympathizer, mm. right? Uh, and then they realized she wasn't. Um, but they had this footage of her sleeping with a very good-looking uh, young man who was a naval officer in World War II who turned out to be the future president, John F. Kennedy. Wow. So J. Edgar Hoover's been powerful for the longest time. This is where you're really starting to see him come into the, the mainstay here. So this is the original crime, by the way. Adjusted for inflation, uh, the Kellys will now hold – this Mr. Urschel, who's, uh, uh, by the way, big money. I believe he was an oil tycoon. Oil. He, he had – he was filthy for oil. Absolutely. From Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, I think. Yep. Did he look like the Monopoly guy? I want him. I hear tycoon. I just think yeah. Monopoly guy for some reason. <laughs> With the IP of monocle? Yeah. <laughs> I want him to have it. The uh, adjusted for inflation, by the way, because the original ransom that they took in 1933 money, they will get $200,000. Yeah. In, to be delivered in $20 bills. Oh, that's so smart too, man. <laughs> that's how you know you're going to get away with it. And during Small the Depression, bills. $20 bill is probably the biggest you could possibly expect anybody to give change for it too. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not like, like today, $20 bill is nothing. But in the middle of the Depression, $20. Again, and adjust for inflation it's in probably, modern money, Yeah, talking $4 million. Wow. Right. $4 million kidnapping. And it worked. Okay. Uh, now, what I found interesting too, Kevin, they asked for 200000 when they when they kidnapped Urschel, the oil tycoon. Um, the Barker Car Carper gang, lose reception. Uh, they were into the – a lot of these uh, gangsters, racketeers – just um, bad guys were putting the snatcher, putting a, a lot of people on uh, 
and holding them for ransom, you know, hijacking them and holding them for ransom. The Barker Harper gang just hijacked somebody. Is Remember it Barker Carpus, I thought? I'm sorry. What did I say? Barker Harper. Oh, my, I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> uh, that, their gang asked for their kidnapping attempt, 100,000. So now Machine Gun Kelly and the missus are up in the ante by 100,000, which is, you know, $2 million. Uh, you know what will put know, some butts mind, in the seats? Modern day time. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> going to up that ante. Of the same guy? No, no, oh, no, okay. no. Okay. I was like, damn. The Barker gang did. Luck. But they all know each other. Here's the craziest part. All these public enemy type people, they all know each other. And that, so again, like Ma Barker just came in over there. Uh, Dillinger comes into play on some of the, these guys are all crossing paths with each other. They all know a little bit about each other. Yeah, so they all that, go to GangsterCon every year. It it's really, right. it seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a very strange thing where it's, uh, they're, they're easy allies because you know, like, well, at least they're not going to turn you over to the feds. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also you're in competition with each other. You sleep so, with one eye open. Oh, when yeah. You, when we you, call it uh, Thickest Thieves. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like yeah, it. Yeah, there Thickest you go. Thieves. Fucking covert, man. Mm -hmm. Tattoos them sometimes, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all crossing, crossing paths. They're all in the same time frame. And even J. Edgar Hoover really becomes famous for these times because you just had the Lindbergh baby kidnapping a year before. And they uh, they didn't have the laws in place that they could really go after the, the but it was a huge investigation but it was also a shit show because nobody had jurisdiction over the uh, Lindbergh baby kidnapping right. you had New Jersey State Police you had some of the federals you had some of the locals they're crossing over state lines so who owns who owns uh, that investigation um, so that law was enacted. Um, Right after the Lindbergh, actually became known as the Lindbergh Law, that uh, now it's a federal offense to uh, kidnap somebody. So, uh, J. Edgar is all over that, and they're making they're making headlines, and it was pretty much a you know the war on uh, on racketeering. Um, to they've got many different things, uh, kidnapping, bootlegging, you know all those all those fun stuff. That uh, they're trying to put a stop to. <laughs> well, unfortunately for them, because they're it, it does work. They do get paid, right? Um, they're able to pull this thing off. It takes a couple of weeks for the money. To, that there's a time with the ransom and everything like that. Unfortunately for them, Mr. Urschel, uh, he's able to give great, great details to the law enforcement guys. These. Bureau of uh, um, these Bureau of Investigation guys. That he's talking to because he'll remember things like, yeah, I feel like I heard a car from around this time frame, and then there was. Uh, I would hear – I was being kept in a room at this time and I could tell that because even though I was blindfolded, it was about 10 steps for them to come through the door to get towards me. And they wind up giving all these details to him. He also is leaving fingerprints on stuff. Yeah, whatever Physical he evidence. Reach, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're getting smart right now. But that's high-tech stuff for the time. Extremely. Fingerprints. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? This was still – I mean, it, it's such a – I don't want to make the cliche, but it used to just be like, um, you know, the, the cops would show up and be like, who do you think did it? He goes, it's probably Dirty Steve. He's always right. doing shit like this. <laughs> yeah. Pick him up. We'll beat the shit out of him until he uh, confesses. Yeah. To the, Dirty Steve, to the did you do this? No. <laughs> did you do it? All right, I did it. Dirty Steve did it. <laughs> Tune him up a little. <laughs> and he didn't pass his hygiene. That's right. <laughs> Dirty Steve? No. Dirty Steve. No, he was always D minus at best. <laughs> oh, man. It's uh... a... <laughs> But because of this, what we call a callback in the business. Hell yeah, it was. Hell yeah, it was the Vogel. All right, get Vogel. there, folks. Saturday, twenty first. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, like we said, for Kelly and his wife, Mr. Urschel was given all these great details to him, which allows them to locate, figure out where uh, was that Mr. Urschel was being kept. Which wouldn't you know it, Dad? Turns out to be uh, Mrs. Kelly's 
mothers and father or step mother and stepfather's ranch right. that and, they had out in Texas. Right. So they so. they they uh, hijack this guy. They bring him to uh, mom pa. Um, the in-laws' house to hide them out for a little bit while they're waiting for all the, the delivery of the 200K. But this guy, Urschel, he's a smart cookie because, like you said, Kev, he was blindfolded and tied up, um, but he's taking mental notes and trying to reach whatever he can reach and put his fingerprints on it so they can finally find this guy. Hey, honey, uh, is that the Monopoly guy tied up in our barn? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, don't pass him unless you yeah. want $200. <laughs> But he can hear oil rigs. He knows that oh, He can okay. hear oil yeah. rigs going, or what sounds like oil rigs while you're blindfolded. And he's hearing twin-engine airplanes flying overhead. And uh, he's making notes of that, that every day he can hear this plane coming and going overhead. Except one day, it wasn't there, but that day it was raining. So now the, the feds later on in their, uh, in their um, gathering of evidence, they were able to figure out where the hell this guy was at. Um, and long and short, uh, he was a pretty smart guy to uh, piece all these things together while he's being held captive and, and being blindfolded. So, Kahuna, just for your knowledge at home, to give it a, a modern sense here, if we kidnapped Ken Krantz, okay, friend of the show, stand-up comedian Ken Krantz, if we kidnapped him, okay, um, and tried to keep him somewhere— he would know by the sound of laughter that it was the stress factory in New Brunswick we were hiding him in. And the reason the crowd was laughing was because Ken wasn't doing time that night. <laughs> oh, my God, yo. Love it. Oh, love it. Uh, we love Ken. Please buy his album. I forget what it's called. <laughs> but oh, shit. It, it blows up on him, man. It blows up on him. The FBI will continue to pursue the Kellys, uh, and they know that they're coming for him now. Okay, And this is where that ride-or-die chick – Starts to see the writing on the walls and says, well, I mean, maybe I can figure out something because now the problem is this. You brought your family into it. Yeah. All right. So now because of these new laws that are coming through as well and the federal oversight for it, you now have um, – because it's the mother's ranch, the mother and the stepfather are now culpable in the crime. Sure. So right. There's going to be some punishment. And, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, aiding and abetting, right? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so anyway, Machine Gun's own wife actually figures out that the feds are after her. And she makes an offer to them. She goes, how about I turn over Machine Gun Kelly? Let me tell you how great and crazy this guy is. Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly. I'll turn him into you in exchange for a lesser sentence for my mother and I. Right? Mother? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because it's her mother's farm that they were on. It's the stepfather's farm, too. That guy's name, by the way, is Shannon. He comes in at the, the very end of the story. Here. Another Irish boy. Oh, yeah. They are. <laughs> but uh, anyway, these FBI agents are th – the deal never gets – shook on, if you will, okay? Because in the meantime, while they're attempting to hunt these people down, uh, they're making an offer like, well, how about we turn ourselves in? Too late. We already fucking got you. The FBI, they were pretty good. They weren't the FBI just yet, but the Bureau boys were going pretty good over here. So because of the use of the safe house for kidnapping, uh, Catherine's mother and stepfather were facing these very serious charges here. The deal would not wind up going through because on September 26th, 1933, Machine Gun Kelly will be captured by a joint team of FBI agents and Memphis police officers in Memphis, Tennessee. His capture is the subject of some debate and many urban legends. One such legend posits that the unarmed machine gun Kelly was frightened and surrendered without a fight, saying, don't shoot, G-Men, don't shoot. Here's your badass fucking machine gun Kelly. Yeah. yeah Not yeah. whimpering like a sick dog. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he was calling them G-Men, too. So that goes into th that at the... 
for the time, they say, that was used to describe anybody who worked for the government. Right. You were a government man. Government official. G-man after that becomes synonymous with the FBI. Hoover's like, oh, G-man? That's what we are. Yeah, yeah we'll go a, by that. That's a catchphrase. My government right. man. We like it. We like slicked uh, <laughs> hair back. Uh, yeah, slicked hair. Slicked back haircuts. Yes. Boom. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> First try. Yeah. We're going to have on suits. We're going to use state-of-the-art technology here. We're going to be the G-men. We're going to make them afraid of us, right? And it's uh, it's all working, this machine here. And by the way, G-men starts getting used by such names as like Jimmy Cagney in some of the movies that right. Huna was talking about earlier, yeah. that your public enemy era gets romanticized through all this shit. Take that, you dirty rat. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know this, too. Um, the original Scarface movie was actually made um, about all that and that was uh, for the, the habeas corpus thing, and that was the public enemy era, and it was it was all this stuff all based about this. A lot of times they were making the movies as the things were happening too, which is even crazier because, remember, this is 1933. Movies are out already, right? Because right. what was the year for uh, – let's, let's see if we can get it to kick in. What year was Wizard of Oz, Kahuna? 1934? <clears throat> I thought it was 33, but we'll find out. But the movies are out is what we're right. trying yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, you're no longer watching silent movies to, with somebody banging on a piano to provide the uh, – the instrumental. Um, and th that whole $200,000, too, that was the largest ransom uh, asked for up to that date. I mean, it was 100000 with the Barker gang, and um, they you know, they decided they were going to do something. And even the whole machine gun thing, that was, that was huge because the machine gun, the Thompson submachine gun, was really only developed at the very close or the very end of World War I. And now we've got all kinds of people buying into that whole machine gun. If you got a, a thing that's going to fire a 45 caliber bullet and maybe 700 rounds a minute, that's a whole lot better than a 1903 Springfield, you know, bolt action rifle. Yeah, there's a line from uh, Batman. The end of Batman begins. What about retaliation, right? Well, what's going to happen now? Now the cops are going to have to have these weapons too, right? So again, and you're starting to see I mean, for Christ's sake, uh, the BAR, that that huge uh, assault I rifle. I love the, oh. It's <laughs> the bar? I'm in. <laughs> Uh, Covert, you would have been behind bars quickly back then, brother. <laughs> I'm usually behind bars. Oh, man. <laughs> Lob up another one. That's why, uh, that's why I like doing the show with friends. <laughs> but we're talking about crazy assault weapons being brought in here. Now, the guy's name is Machine Gun. Do you think you're going to take it easy on a guy who's potentially named Machine Gun? No. So now all of a sudden he's surrendering. Like, please don't shoot, guys. Just don't shoot. I'm anyway. My, my name's Machine Gun Kelly, um, and I'm very happy to cooperate. <laughs> yeah, and even the Tommy Gun itself, the Thompson Submachine Gun had nicknames. They were calling it the Chicago Typewriter or the Chicago Piano. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Right? I mean, Chicago. I mean, we got Al Capone, and he was the head. Of, he was probably the, the most recognized, baddest uh, gangster of the time, and. Uh, the Tommy gun that they love to use to hold St. Valentine's Day massacre and stuff. Where the guys, these guys are spraying the wall with uh, machine gun fire. By the way, not to ruin the Bugs Moran episode, the reason why um, Bugs Moran was not present for the Valentine's Day massacre was because he slept in that day. Pays so, to sleep in. Yep. If you're out getting drunk, just know that potentially you're avoiding a gangland massacre. All right. Yeah, and then the FBI really didn't come into play with uh, machine guns themselves for their own protection was the post-Kansas uh, City massacre, which we also covered in a loser reception. All <laughs> right. Uh, that was in 30, this 33. So it, it, was a, it was a hot time there. Uh, this, the, uh, the, uh, that particular incident was where they were transporting a convicted criminal and coming out of the train station, they opened up. So uh, 
You know, it's, uh, it's wild times when you got people being machine guns. You know, I noticed that the they have these machine guns that shoot uh, up to 700 rounds per minute, and we've got 38s that fit in our pocket. <laughs> and you got six rounds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how much longer we can keep this up. But I will say this, the uh, that use of the term G-Man, like I said, becomes synonymous with the Bureau of Investigation. Now, that story about him saying, don't shoot G-Men, don't shoot. They're saying it's probably an urban legend. It probably didn't happen. Probably Jay Edgar yeah. pumped that oh, one Oh, because how good was he about stuff oh, yeah, like that? Absolutely. We, just, we, we killed Ma Barker. We just shot a woman and her son. He goes, uh, in a very brave shootout. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you're giving uh, hero status to the bad guys, we better uh, do something that's even a little, a little it's worse. It's true. How much of that was just a counterpunch, you right. wonder. Um, now, this case uh, and the findings and the prosecution of the Kelly gang for the kidnapping and ransom of Mr. Urschel would be the first major case solved for the Bureau under the leadership of one J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. So this is a big win in his column, which, by the way, when he proves how much he can pull off with you know, the power that he's been given, what do you think is going to happen next time he goes, I need a little bit. I need you guys to increase my role a little bit here. Yeah. Well, he already got the Kelly gang. How can we argue with that? <clears throat> right. So now uh, this is the way that it winds up coming out. A couple other interesting things. This Kelly gang trial, that's actually the first trial to be filmed with cameras. Neat. Yeah. So there's courtroom footage somewhere? That, yeah. There's yep. some C-SPAN somewhere, right? <laughs> um, also, in addition to that, uh, Catherine Kelly and her mother will both serve 25-year sentences at a West Virginia women's correctional facility. All right? Her stepfather, Shannon, will serve 11 years of his 25-year sentence before he gets released. So all this guy did was just supply the ranch that his wife and her ne'er-do-well daughter from a previous marriage yeah. brought around her machine gun-toting husband. And now this guy's doing 11 years in jail. Well, they did find a, a hefty sum of the money on the ranch. If yeah. About $73,000. Well, that's how you tie people in, to the crime. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I don't know if he knew about it out there. but Yeah, because the feds had the uh, all the bills that they delivered in the ransom. They had those holes logged in, and they found the the money. I think buried in a, like a a one gallon thermos bottle type of a thing on, and that's how they Jesus. they came to find that. <laughs> I mean, it's like a glass case, still a regular thermos bottle. You want to explain Big, this money here? Very very <laughs> lucrative lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah, right. Twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, so no we're up in the That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> It's uh, it's brutal, though, because as we covered in the opening sentence of this episode, Machine Gun Kelly will die in prison, but not before a stay at the infamous Alcatraz. Yes. All right. Alcatraz, the rock. He's going to be inmate 117. He's going to live on the rock for 17 years. So Yeah, he was one of the first batch of guys that were sent to that federal institution. Um, it was Machine Gun Kelly along with others. But, it would uh, house the worst of the worst. Huh? It was a, you couldn't escape unless you were Frank Morris and you had a copy of uh, a couple of magazines. You can't uh, figure popular out. Popular Mechanics. Or Sean Conner. I think he tried to escape. Oh, very much so. Yeah, well, sure. Best Michael Bay movie. You know, the, uh, the, whole, when the day they caught Machine Gun Kelly kind of got overshadowed. By, mm-hmm. Did you hear that? <laughs> Roll with it. What? No, I'm being serious. No, rolling. I, Dillinger and, and the gang escaped that same day. Were you mm-hmm. going to get to that? I'm sorry. No, I, that's perfect because that's what we – because here's the thing. So now you got – oh, look, look uh, the FBI, a big win for us. The Kelly gang's – ah, Dillinger's back out. Shit, 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 <laughs> shit, shit, shit. <laughs> Right. But you're right. Public enemy number one himself, Mr. John Dillinger. Same day. Yeah, that's right. Another movie worth watching there. Johnny Depp does the role justice. He manages to escape on that one. 
now, while our boy Machine Gun Kelly is over in Alcatraz, uh, he doesn't have his wife there to serve as hype man anymore. So he's got to serve <laughs> as his own hype man now. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, I did this once. You know, uh, you know back in my day, I'm Machine Gun Kelly. I would, if, I, if a guy looked at me like that, I would just deck him right in the face. You know, I'm Machine Gun Kelly. I'm a big badass dude. You know, one time this guy came up to me and, tried, and then everyone's just like, you just fucking talk nonstop. Yeah. This guy's such a bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> the cons. But a master bullshit right. Yeah. But no, not even. No, not, a master know, would it, pull it off. Because nobody's believing in shit. The cons are all just like, hey, you ever <laughs> notice that um, all of Machine Gun Kelly's stories are bullshit? shit you know because when you're telling the rule is this the rule is this in my life at least when you're telling a fight story it's not a good fight story unless you lose all right that's when you know it's a good fight story so if it's just like hey, i got this great story uh one time this guy was being weird so i kicked his ass Here's plus that. the the best lie is when there's a hint of the truth so this dude had no hint of any truth in anything that he was talking about they called him mr big fish stories all right. And yeah. here's my best is yeah. my favorite part of the whole up. You want to say what his nickname became in the joint, Dad? Yeah. And and once he got to Alcatraz and he was constantly nonstop and talking bullshit, they gave him the nickname Pop Gun Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> For the cork guns that yeah. used to be popular with the kids to run around. So he was pop Pop Gun Kelly or Cap Gun Kelly or, or Nerf Gun Kelly would be <laughs> <a> mo- <laughs> you know, to give it a modern sense. But, yeah, you're talking about uh, um Pop Gun Kelly. I mean, later years later, Mattel toy makers, right? They actually came out with a uh, a Tommy gun. Uh, you know, as a kid, I could remember you could buy that thing and you'd squeeze the trigger and it would make the the pop 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 you know the rattling, <laughs> the rattling sound on there from the from the Tommy gun. So you had your own toy, uh, you know, Chicago typewriter to go outside and terrorize the neighborhood with. It's very fun. I enjoyed growing up with cap guns and stuff. If I grew up nowadays, I think I would have probably been, uh, well, I mean, on way, way, way more Zoloft. Um, it would have had me figured out pretty quick. Like, why is this kid wearing an army helmet on a camping truck? Um, but anyway, pop Full metal jacket. <laughs> Our boy Popgun Kelly is not getting taken seriously, or he becomes a laughing stock within Alcatraz, which that's not hard. I mean, it, it's actually pretty hard to do now that I'm thinking about it. You'd assume if you're on the rock, you were at least somewhat badass, but right. this guy just talks up his own shit all the time. Uh, and again, no wife there to serve as hype man for him anymore. Now, he will eventually get transferred back to F- Leavenworth. Leavenworth. Yeah. He goes back to Leavenworth. You c- who says you can't go home, folks, right? <laughs> Back in Leavenworth, this is in 1951, he's transferred back. Just a few years later, he will die of a heart attack while still in prison, dying on his 59th birthday. And uh, his family refuses to claim the body. Yeah, that was interesting, too, because he changed his name to Machine Gun Kelly, where his real name was, uh, his last name was Barnes. And he changed his name, last name to Kelly, so he would kind of protect his rather well-to-do family. So, I mean, hmm. <laughs> now that he's tried to protect them by changing his own name, they don't want anything to do with him. And it looks like Kahuna just pulled up one of the movies made about him because the legend is so much better than the true story. Oh, Charles Bronson yeah. played yep. him? Hey, Charlie Bronson. Hey, knock people down. Oh, yeah. What do you do for a Directed by Roger Corman. I need to watch this movie. Eight, There's some man. good ones, dude. <laughs> Wait to see that original Scarface movie, too. The one with, I believe it's Cagney as Scarface. And it's, uh, I think it's Howard, I think it's Howard Hughes directed that one. Yeah. 
And it was made in in part as a public service announcement. Talk to your kids about the dangers of becoming public enemy number one. Howard Yeah, and that's another mm-hmm. sign. Howard Hawks, thank you. Good call. Sign of the Times, too, is. Yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of similar right. stuff. Instead, they subbed in, instead of prohibition, they subbed in cocaine. And then uh, they just uh, went up to Pacino and they were like, you can do Cuban, right? <laughs> and he <didn't laughs> what was it a Cuban? The, the it wasn't Cuban was in the one. Cuban? No, it was bootlegging stuff. Uh, so they instead of bootlegging it with the cocaine trade and then instead and of an Italian second. immigrant coming in, they had him play. And Cagney, by the way, I don't know if he played an Italian in the movie. I forget what his name was. Oh, yeah. Boom. Right there. Italian immigrant Antonio Tony Carmonti or whatever it was. <laughs> Aveda. That's, a- <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. She'll be back. Another quailo. She'll love me in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Now, you'd think, you would think, by the way, that uh, a transfer over to Leavenworth, because by the way, the guy's dead now. Machine Gun Kelly's dead. Yeah. So whatever story and, and thing, it's pretty embarrassing no matter what the circumstances are that your family's not going to claim your body yeah. at the end of the day. Like, how rough of a set do you have to have for your, your own family? Like, yeah, that's not, um, we're not related to that comedian. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but he doesn't. Your mother and I were just talking about that. <laughs> Indeed. As my father has said before, uh, Kevin, remember, uh, 18 years as a child, 30 years as a mortgage. Get your shit together. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> love it. That's I love it. <laughs> and you can see more of that on Saturday the 21st. <laughs> Please do. Come on out for that one, folks. It's going to be very fun. I'm thoroughly disappointed in this story. Not because you guys didn't have a great episode. Like, I thought there was way more to this guy than really what's there. Nope. He was a bullshit but, artist. But, like... <laughs> it's you were you were joking about eight mile earlier with Eminem. It's he he fucking choked. He got all he got all the hype from his friends, from his wife, and then finally goes up to the stage and fucking choked. He choked his one big gig, if you will. Yeah, he falls flat on his face because the FBI catches him relatively easily. <laughs> right. Yeah, he winds up in jail now. Catherine, like we said, gets out of prison a few years later in 1958. Uh, she's going to live under the assumed name of Lara Cleo Kelly. And she's going to work as a bookkeeper and pretty much live the straight and narrow until her death in 1985. All right. Um, now, the the mother, I believe she passed away shortly after getting after, uh, out of prison here. Um, now, Machine Gun Kelly's remains are eventually going to be taken and buried by his former stepfather-in-law, this Mr. Shannon we were talking about. Mm. So that guy comes through. That's how good of a guy he is. He's like – I'll take his body, and they bury him. And Kahuna brought up a picture right away of his uh, his grave. Little tiny mark there. It's uh, George B. Kelly, right? That's Machine Gun Kelly, mm. and that's what he's buried with. It's just a little paver stone with some handwritten, uh, you know, scribble in there. If they pull the weeds back, yeah, that's right. I mean, put some flowers down or something like that. But that's how good of a story they were telling about him that. Uh, Hollywood took that and ran with it, man. It's all about the name. It really, I, I hate to say it, but it is. Yeah. And I think I think the other side of that, too, is that uh, he was trying to promote himself as being a badass. His wife has given him this whole machine gun moniker. But at the same time, J. Edgar Hoover is trying to do the same thing for the for the G-men. So right. he's fine. We captured uh, part of the Barker gang, or we, we captured Machine Gun Kelly, and he was the baddest. And it was J. Edgar Hoover that came up with that public enemy uh, number one uh, stuff, and uh, our boy uh, Machine Gun Kelly was on that list at one time. So if you promote, <laughs> promote the bad guy, but you're even badder because you captured him. You know, yeah, it was, that's it was the that thing. whole so, time. Yeah, at, again, there's other things too with other episodes we covered that that'd be like um, a, a, someone who's being sympathetic in their final moments. 
But J. Edgar Hoover will show up and be like, oh, no, uh, we actually tried to go. It's like the thing in uh, Lethal Weapon when Gary Busey's finally beaten, but he has to reach for the gun one last time so that they can shoot him and get away with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Gary Busey was a bad guy. No one would be upset if he went to jail forever. <laughs> but you, if you're the person, you'd be like, oh, we're the one who put down Machine Gun Kelly. We captured uh, – We uh, Pretty Boy Floyd got shot. Um, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde got <laughs> shot. Their end, uh, brother uh, Ma Barker got shot yeah. in a house fire. Um, who didn't get shot? It, uh, well, Dillinger took one in the back of the head. Um, I would say Kelly Lincoln machine. Gun. <laughs> <laughs> he was a badass. But <laughs> We're going to talk about all the people that got shot. I think Kahuna just made a great point, though. What? That that's why we don't give the uh, um, the respect, if you will, to Machine Gun Kelly because he lived through his criminal career. Right. Everybody else usually went down in a blaze of glory. So it's almost like a uh, like you were saying, Dad, that that's good for the FBI right. that we took them down in a blaze of glory, but then the, they get to keep their dignity in that. Yeah. It's almost like if you live long enough, you become the villain. Uh, You're not going to take me, Coppa. That's right. I like to imagine Machine Gun Kelly getting out of uh, you know in, in Leavenworth one night. Um, they put on a movie, and J. Edgar Hoover's signature pops up on the front of it, telling him copyright infringement is a illegal activity. <laughs> <laughs> But that's uh, pretty much the gimmick on this one. Did you guys have anything you want to say on the way out? Because, I mean, we Kahuna's right. He's a disappointing story, and that's why he's an American loser. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't live up to his hype. Well, when you're an Irish kid, like I, growing up, I was an Irish kid. Yeah, I still am. <laughs> I was going to say, when did um, that change? Uh, yeah. yeah it's, you have uh, an announcement, Kev? Pending uh, 23 and me. Um, <laughs> I'm 3% Greek, folks. All right? But, uh, no, uh, it, so I would – Anything Irish, I would jump onto. You know what I mean. And so then you have a guy named Machine Gun Kelly, and you're like, "Well, here's what I would be like if I was in the 1920s. I'd be a gangster on the side of a Model T, riding around with a Tommy gun, robbing banks, or I would just have a girl that was talking, you know, talking me up all the time, so that she wouldn't seem like she was dating a loser. You know, <laughs> pretty much what it was. Well, that's what my girlfriend does. <laughs> <laughs> She's a sweetheart, by the way. I enjoy it. <laughs> Well, anything you want to say on the way out, and then we'll plug the show one last time? Just thank you so much for having me. Always a blast. You my, jerk. My, we love you. My cheeks hurt from smiling and laughing. You guys are hilarious. <laughs> and I did. I always do my research. He does. You know he does. I do. That's right. If you guys Comes did not hear this one, uh, him and Ken Krantz, both hilarious. Uh, how we made an episode about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Hilarious? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, come on. It was it. hilarious. <laughs> oh, one more thing about this one. This is the first prosecution that the defendants were transported by airplane. No shit. Wow. The first time they got televised in the trial, too. A lot of firsts. Yeah. Life is good. That technology keeps getting stronger and stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon we'll have a telephone in every house. In every pocket. Yeah. (laughs) I would say that um, a Machine Gun Kelly movie, Cahoon, if we were to make it nowadays and tell the true story of it, would have to be a comedy. Oh, yeah. So if you had to do a casting couch for this guy before we throw it to LP, you got nothing? I mean... It's because then it's insulting to anyone who I'd cast because it's like I see you as partially a loser. But even in a comedy, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. Because the way, I, like, because when, when I hear the gangster film, like, it's a it's big, it's it's a spectacle. But like, with this, it's a fucking whimper. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do wah, a man, wah, who that's knew the whole store. <laughs> I'd. <laughs> Honestly, you know what I would do? I would do a movie that was two in one. It was so, it was the big spectacle, what you think of Machine Gun Kelly, and then what actually went down. Where, like it, where it would be like 
ele- like moments in his life, major lead up, major, major points. It would obviously be like the legit things, but when it came to the crimes, it would play out in this crazy way. But then Machine Gun would look into the camera and be like, well, this is actually what happened. <laughs> I was, it really wasn't a Machine Gun. Version. Do it Tarantino style, like all out of order. And then, That's you know, the and it still doesn't make any sense at the end. Uh, exactly. So Uma Thurman's in it is what yes. we're trying to say. 100%. <laughs> LP, do you have anything on the way out? No, I think I'm going with what Kahuna had there. Is that, you know, his, his hype is Machine Gun, but he's really Pop Gun. That's really <laughs> what it comes down to. Here's how I, if I we did make the movie about him, it would be like Kahuna said the the image versus the reality. Both roles played by Thomas Hayden Church, Lowell from Wings. Oh yeah, he'd be playing it hard ass like he's the Sandman from Spider Man, and the 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 what the image is. And then in reality, it's him with like you know stumbling over his own two feet, and yeah. happening just to shoot his name on accident into the wall or something <laughs> like that. But if we could just have Morgan Freeman overdub the whole movie, ooh, like the narrate the, I think it. You could do any story, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, you know what? That's, there's truth to that. There's almost – it'll be too much legitimacy thrown behind this story of a bullshit artist done wrong. <laughs> I didn't think much of Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> got off the bus at Leavenworth. <laughs> Looked like a stiff breeze would blow him over. And it wasn't shit for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, man. But Cobra, one more time so that people can come out and see us. It's this Saturday, brother. I'm this so excited Saturday, about it. Saturday, the 21st. Hell yeah. What time? Me, you, Brian O'Halloran. It is an 8 o'clock show at The Vogel in Red Bank. Associated with the Count Basie Theater. This is going to be a good one, guys. After this, I got another huge announcement uh, for next week's episode, too. Just lots of cool things happening here because we're in uh, we're in the center of the universe of New Jersey. That's where we're recording. Mike okay. and Ming do take great care of us here to share the Universe Podcast Studio in Homedale, not Eatontown. All right? No more Eatontown for us. But I will say this. Um, you were with us, actually, on our very first episode of the show, man. You uh, you came because you guys were hanging out. You had a poker night there, I think, the night before. Oh, yeah. So we came in. You threw us the nickname for uh, – a uh, one Mr. Big Kahuna, which Absolutely. has stuck for about three years now. I love so it. I'm going to say you did pretty good. 100%. And he's going to be in the crowd as well. I think LP's coming out. Yeah, we'll be too. there. So we're going to see you guys. I'll tell you what. If you listen to this episode ahead of time, during my set, scream out Machine Gun Kelly at some point. <laughs> Actually, wait a minute. Don't scream gun in the theater. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that might not be a good idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, Howard will be on you like a fucking dog. <laughs> Just scream <laughs> Kahuna. We'll know what you mean. Yeah, Absolutely. Scream Kahuna or uh, American Loser. I do like it. It's very fun going up on stage and hearing people yell out American Loser. Because nice. once I explain the context of it, that they're not insulting me. <laughs> That's the problem with the name of this show. But uh, you guys know, if you want to support the show, please check us out over at American Loser Podcast uh, on Instagram. At uh, KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram is my personal page. Covert, where can they find you? It's at Get Coverted, I believe. Yes. All over the dude. Everything. Twitter, Insta. Ankles. I never update anything. I'm all techno-Amish with that. I'm a get in there and mix with the animals kind of guy live. No, I'm a child. Yeah, I, I can't help it, man. I, I just don't have that kind of patience. I should post more, but I, yeah, whatever. If only you had a son that could teach you how to use social media. Right? <laughs> 100%. But this was an absolute blast, man. Please come see me and Chris Covert over at The Vogel this coming Saturday. Lawrence Patrick Burke, thank you for all you do on the show here. Cahoons, thanks for being behind the ones and twos. And guys, that was Machine Gun Kelly, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born.